The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. Big moves in the bond market. The U.S. 10-year Treasury yield tops 3% for the first time in four years, while U.S. stocks stage a late comeback after the S&P and the Nasdaq hit fresh lows for the year. A balancing act from the Federal Reserve as policymakers kick off the two-day meeting amid expectations of a 50 basis point hike. While the Goldman Sachs CEO says he hopes the U.S. economy can avoid going into recession. The Fed um, is appropriately focused on the fact that we've got real inflation in the economy um, and their monetary policy actions are part of the toolkit to try to tame that and try to find a path to a soft landing. Meanwhile, Germany says it can withstand a Russian oil embargo as the European Commission prepares to impose a sixth package of sanctions against Russia amid warnings that Moscow is weaponizing energy. It is an unjustified breach of existing contracts and a warning that any member state could be next. And HSBC uh, gaining just a tad, nothing major, but a decent uh, gain of, uh, what is it, just over 1% in Hong Kong as investors get the first chance to trade the stock after top shareholder Ping An reportedly calls for a breakup of Europe's largest lender. BNP Paribas beats expectations with a 19% jump in first quarter net income. The CFO Lars Machinal tells CNBC the momentum will continue despite the uncertain outlook. Yes, what we see on the horizon is maybe there might be a little bit temporary slowdown of GDP, there might be some inflation, there might be some interest rates, right? But in total, if you look at it, it basically, as we took a conservative stance on all of them, it basically confirms our 2025 objective. So let's focus on the latest bank earnings. BNP Paribas has reported a 19% jump in first quarter net income, coming in at just over 2 billion euros. That was above expectations. The French lender says it expects to see strong momentum in the coming year, despite facing a, quote, more contrasted environment in the short term. Well, Charlotte caught up with the CFO, Lars Machinel, and asked how he sees the European economy developing as the bank grapples with surging inflation and volatility. On a European scale, you really see that there's a lot of investments going to happen with respect to ensure the startup after COVID, but also everything that is related to the, to the CSR, so the, the green economy. And then also there is this identification that some sectors were underdeveloped in Europe and need to, because they are strategic, need to be further developed. And so that is something in order to finance that. Typically, it's not the states that the states, the, the, the European states that can do it, it's basically the banking system and in particularly the originate to distribute that will have to do it. And BNP Paribas is to play a very important role in that. So from that point of view, we're really open for business and open to support European growth. Well, Lars Machinal and of course Charlotte conducted that interview. Um, let's get to Charlotte for more. And I think what really stood out for me, Charlotte, having just come off the back of looking at the two Swiss banks reporting here, is just how well the European banks seem to have been doing in terms of equity trading and FIC revenue for the last quarter. 
Absolutely, and that was one of the highlights of this set of results, Jeff. Uh, and you know that BNP Paribas has invested heavily in building up their equities business. Of course, they bought the prime brokerage from Deutsche Bank. Uh, they bought the stake in Exxon that they didn't already own. And that's a, a part of the business that they're really focusing on and try to build up. And there, as you said, FIC, uh, revenue in FIC was up 48%. And equity, uh, there the business were up 61%. So very good set of results there overall for the investment bank, where there the revenue was up 28%. But across the board, it was a strong performance for BNP Paribas. It was a, it was a, a good beat uh, on the top line, as you mentioned, with net income up 19% uh, and revenue up 11.7%. So uh, as you say, I did catch up with Lars Machinil to discuss the performance on the bank and where, where it came from. Take a listen. If you look at BNP Paribas, uh, continues to actively support its clients and the economy under all circumstances. That's basically the basis. And if you look at it, you're right, the bottom line clocked in at 2.1 billion euros, which is 19.19% higher than last year, which was already a solid quarter. So if we look at the elements of the PL, the revenues first. So revenues are up 12%. And this on the back of the exceptional client activity and again BNP Paribas being totally ready to support the economy. On top of that, those revenues come with positive jobs, so reflecting a very good control of operating expenses. And then if you look at the cost of risk, they stand low at an intrinsic 30 basis points over outstanding. So that's basically the, 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 the drivers of the group. And then if you look, where does that come from? So if we look at our three divisions, first of all, uh, the, well, all of them have a very solid business dynamic. And, and if you look at them one by one, so first of all, if you look at CIB, it had a very strong revenues up 28% versus a year ago, and that leveraging on a continued market share gain and a strategic development of the platform. So we're well positioned. So the three businesses actually within CIB, they recorded very strong commercial momentum. And if we look at in particularly global markets, it had a growth of uh, almost 50%. And if you look at it in both in fixed income and in equities, and again, on the back of the very strong client activity that we saw. So that's uh, CIB. And then if you look at the other part, which is CPBS, which is commercial, uh, personal banking and services, also they had a very good growth, 8%. Of course, it's also a very different world from last time we spoke just a quarter ago because of the war in Ukraine. We knew that inflation was already a concern coming out of the pandemic, but now there's more concern for inflation with higher commodity prices, energy prices, etc., etc. So at the moment, so your cost of risk is at very low level. You release some provisions. Are you concerned of what's coming next? There's a lot of uncertainty of what it means for the for the global recovery. They could be at risk and that we aren't entering a, a stagflation environment now. Well, if you look at, first of all, we made a plan looking at how the bank would adapt and evolve and support the economy ramping up to 2025. And we took, of course, hypotheses or several economic hypotheses that were very conservative. So from that point of view, yes, what we see on the horizon is maybe there might be a little bit temporary slowdown of GDP, there might be some inflation, there might be some interest rates, right? But in total, if you look at it, it basically, as we took a conservative stance on all of them, it basically confirms our 2025 objectives. So what we've launched, and this is what the first quarter shows, is really working, we're really serving all of the clients and all of the economy. And so from that point of view, we feel comfortable at BNP Paribas that we will be able to accompany our clients going forward.
That was Lars Machinil, the CFO of BNP Paribas, the Eurozone's largest bank, who is confident despite potential uh, upheaval in, in the coming weeks and months that they, they are solid going ahead. And they have reconfirmed their targets just a few weeks ago at the time where they confirmed that they were stopping business in Russia. They have very little exposure to that region and they couldn't reconfirm then that they had a 3 billion exposure. So that was 0.16% of its total and it stopped entirely the business there. And they reconfirmed their targets that I had mentioned um, when they published their full year results already for their 2025 plans. It was a 60% return of profit to shareholders. Uh, there would be a combination of uh, cash and share buybacks as well as return on tangible equity at more than 11% by 2025. Just bearing in mind that for this quarter, return on tangible equity was at 13.5%. Also, revenue growth of more than 3.5% uh, a year. So all these targets, ha they have reconfirmed just a few weeks ago. They said despite the coming uncertainty, they said there is some uncertainty. They, they are confident that they have some very conservative targets, which investors actually were a little bit unhappy about, said this is not ambitious enough in the previous quarter, but they're happy that they can meet these targets uh, comfortably. And they had delayed the investor day and when they announced these targets to this summer. It was supposed to be just uh, just around now and they delayed to the summer. So we'll have more details on this uh, later. Steve. Very nice indeed. Well, we'll carry on looking at this, of course, uh, towards the open as well. Thank you very much indeed for that, Charlotte. We'll see you a little bit later. Wow, I thought yesterday was a fashion, fascinating session. Of course, we had no UK here in Europe, but in the United States yesterday, well, I, I went to bed, I go to bed early because I get up fairly early, but the fact of the matter is the turnaround uh, around about the time I was going to bed uh, into the close was quite extraordinary. We're talking over a 600 point rally uh, for the Dow as well. And, and it's very interesting. And we had those amazing comments from Buffett from the weekend saying the market's like a casino. I think the market behaved exactly as Mr. Buffett uh, says it is at the moment yesterday because it was down quite aggressively over 500 points at one point on the down. I'll come to that in a second. Uh, and then we rallied into the close. I'll, I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. But it was a lot about the data. It was a lot about the Fed. It was a lot about the fact that we hit 3% for the first time in years uh, on the 10-year. But conflicting signals, left, right and centre. And you're going to get more conflicting signals today because as much as last week, I think, was dominated, the week before that was dominated, both weeks by earnings, by stocks, by the mega names and how we respond to that in the earnings season. This week is without doubt at the moment, and things can change, dominated by the data, dominated by the Fed. We've got jolts today, the job opening survey, and you're still going to get a massive job openings figure there, which completely dwarfs the number of people who are unemployed in the United States as well. But then you've got the Fed coming, of course, and then on Friday, you've got the jobs figure. So people are looking at it's the minutiae for all of this. But the fact of the matter is, we saw the 3% yield on the 10-year, but we also saw disappointing ISM manufacturing data. We were potentially looking for a rise. What we got uh, was a figure that fell uh, to uh, 52, a big one, to 55.4 uh, from the previous month's figure in April. So disappointing manufacturing ISM, same time the 3% level on the yield on the 10-year being breached. Then you've got jolts today. Then you've got other uh, really big survey. ADPs tomorrow as well. So there's left, right and centre. It's about pouring over the economics. But in the meantime, what did the dollar do? Seven out of eight sessions now, the dollar index has rallied. And these aren't small rises in many cases. 0.64% higher for the uh, dollar index. Again, uh, another move. And we haven't seen actually uh, too much action above 130 yet on the dollar yen pair. But again, we're all pouring over. Uh, and I'm seeing, reading some great analysis on whether 130 uh, dollar yen, weak yen, is good or bad 
for Japan. And as I said to you yesterday, it is very nuanced. 105.03 on the euro dollar pair. Again, a breach of 105. It's happening. We see it and then it comes back again. Is it going to go to parity? Does it matter if it goes to parity? Maybe we'll ask Jeffrey Yu about that one later on as well. He's got a good view on these things. Uh, and Sterling trading at 125.11. Do you remember in the old days where it was pegged pre, pre the actual final Brexit deal? It was pegged at 130. And the idea was if you got a Brexit deal uh, and you didn't see um, punitive action by the EU towards the British and what have you, you'd see a flight up to 145, 150. Mr. Rees-Mogg, what happened there? Anyway, let's move on and take a look at what Asia markets we have got. There's an awful lot of holidays out there as well. Uh, and rightly so, everyone deserves a break occasion. So you've got no Chinese markets, you've got no Japanese markets, and there's a few others beside. But what you have got uh, are... What have we got? Very mixed bag as well. ASX 200 over in Australia down four tenths of 1%. Straits Times up uh, seven tenths of 1%. Uh, not a lot going on the Kospi or the Nifty at the index level. Let's have a look at the HSBC listing in Hong Kong. In my headlines, it said it rallied on the first opportunity investors had to digest the Ping An proposal for a breakup. I mean, yes, it's rallied. But it's not a mega move on the back of that proposal. So I'm guessing that the market, well, I'm not guessing because I've done a lot of reading, to be honest. But people are um, basically thinking, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see about the benefit. Let's all do our analysis on this. A, is it going to happen? And B, if it does happen, are there benefits necessarily for HSBC and its business operation? But in the meantime, uh, some exciting news out of the European chemical sector, Karen. Good morning to you. Good morning. I want to take you to this uh, company, Covestro, because it is a real example of what we've been seeing more broadly on the stock market, the concerns around the COVID situation in China. And this company directly affected and issuing a profit warning today on the back of what it is seeing in terms of those restrictions around COVID. And effectively, uh, they've changed their guidance now for 2022 and fairly severely, in fact, as they point to the consequence of the COVID lockdown in China, particularly around the Shanghai region. They said further significantly increasing energy and raw materials costs and an assumed lower than expected global economic growth number. Now, the new expectations, uh, let's just get to what these numbers look like. Uh, they've effectively shaved about 500 million euros off the uh, top and bottom line numbers here on the guidance they're giving us on the EBITDA range. So they're now sitting around 2 billion to 2.5 billion euros. That is down from a higher projected range of 2.5 to 3 billion euros. In terms of free operating cash flow, also down by a similar tune, in fact, slightly more, 600 million roughly off the numbers. Uh, the range now that they're expecting 400 to 900 million euros down from previous guidance of 1 billion to 1.5 billion uh, euros. So a big setback on these numbers, return on capital employed over the, the weighted average cost of capital, that's ROCE, is expected to be one percentage point and five percentage points. So the one to five percent down from five to nine percentage points. So again, that is telling you about these reduced expectations just a couple of quick lines on the quarter that they've had. Uh, this is uh, an 806 million EBITDA that has crossed today. That was in line with previous forecasts, uh, that the, the range that they gave. The uh, second quarter 2022 EBITDA is now expected to be 430 million to 530 million euros. So you can see straight away down from the 806 million in the first quarter that we start to get the impact of those restrictions in China hitting by the second quarter. So it does beg the question what the stock price does today 
and how indicative that is of the broader market. Perhaps one of the first cases we get, uh, the stock price has been falling this year. It fell in March, it fell again in April, and it's been trading around the lowest point you've seen so far this year. So how much is baked in to what we've already seen on the stock price and how much more can we see the stock price move in response to the fresh guidance today? That could be fairly indicative of what you're seeing across the board in some of these European markets and stocks that are exposed to China. But we will continue that conversation. Don't forget we've got the CEO of Covestro, Marcus Steileman, joining us. That is at 9.15 CET, Steve. Lovely, Karen. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, let's, should we have a look at Deutsche Post? I'm not actually asking the question. We're going to do it. Um, So um, what are they saying over at Deutsche? I mean, look, if you're in logistics at the moment, what an amazing conversation we're going to have actually with the CFO a little bit later on because there is so much going on. Uh, Frank Arpel, we've had a good start to the year and once again demonstrated the strength of our portfolio in a challenging environment. Um, They are saying that uh, global B2B, major business growth uh, driver EBIT, uh, EBIT improved to 2.2 billion euros. Uh, free cash flow adjusted for acquisitions was 1.1 billion euros on the prior year's uh, record level. Uh, wow. Uh, balanced portfolio proves resilience. I said that. Uh, group revenues rise to 22.6 billion euros in the first quarter. Strong demand for transport services continued while capacity, capacity remains constrained. Therein lies the point. Capacity remains constrained. The Deutsche Post DHL Group CFO Melanie Kreis will join us for a first one interview to break down the numbers in just less than 30 minutes time. I think it's very interesting that they've reaffirmed the guidance here because I think um, no one knows whether we're going to get demand crushed by central banks over the rest of this year and obviously terrific results 2001 full year as they benefited from increase in uh, shipping of goods as we came out of the uh, Covid lockdowns. But of course, we know that they've got higher input costs, not only on the personnel side, but of course, on the energy side as well, which are huge. So will it be a difficult 2022 third quarter, fourth quarter, as ultimately we may begin to see people consuming less, buying less, companies perhaps just slowing down the rate of production as they see demand cratering? You know, listen to the actual people at the coalface of logistics, the drivers pretty much. Mm. And the amount of people who left the industry because of the appalling way they were treated, I'm not talking about DHL, I'm talking about the industry more broadly, yeah. left the industry because they are treated like rubbish on their, their working arrangements, um, basics like you know just actually where they sleep, how long they sleep, how long they can drive, how they leave their cabs, where they get to park, just some basic stuff as well. And the money was low as well, and they left in droves. The pay has gone through the roof for qualified HGV drivers, and I, for one, celebrate that because I know that diminishes the corporate profits but it means actually these highly skilled people because uh, it is not an easy job driving an HGV properly certainly around town I think it's great they're finally getting paid a decent wage Fancy, uh, a late career change trucker you could become a trucker I like do you like your like truck very good <laughs> does anyone um, remember that yes absolutely coming up on the program banking CEOs weigh in <laughs> on the state of the US economy as the Fed prepares to kick off It's two-day meeting. We'll have more on that when we come back. And also, if you want more wisdom and intrigue around what the Fed is going to do and where Treasury yields have got to, do tune in to the Squawk Box podcast, available from Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll be right back.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Let's take a look at the latest out of Australia as the central bank there, the RBA, has hiked rates for the first time in over a decade. With the governor, Philip Lowe, also announcing now is the time to withdraw its, quote, extraordinary pandemic stimulus measures. The Reserve Bank of Australia raised its cash rate by 25 basis points to 0.35 percent, the first hike since November 2010. This is the uh, country battles to contain rising inflation as consumer price index numbers have jumped 2.1 percent for the quarter. You can see the Australian dollar on the charts this morning at 71.06, so marching higher after a pullback over the course of the start of this month. Uh, The Federal Reserve will today kick off its two-day meeting with markets pricing at a 50 basis point rate hike from the FOMC. This as Chair Jerome Powell has acknowledged that policymakers will take a more aggressive approach amid spiking inflation. With inflation at 8.5% in March, price pressures are at their highest levels since the early days of the Reagan administration in 1981 as demand for goods outweighs supply. The employment picture is tight with the economy adding 431,000 jobs in March, while unemployment declined to 3.6%. Speaking to CNBC, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon backed the Fed's approach. The Fed um, is appropriately focused on the fact that we've got real inflation in the economy, um, and their monetary policy actions are part of the toolkit to try to tame that and try to find a path to a soft landing. You know, that that path is unclear. I think there's no question the perception of how aggressive the Fed will be in 2022 um, has has changed over the last few months. And certainly perspective at the beginning of January is different than the perspective today. Uh, Bank of America's CEO is Brian Moynihan, of course, and uh, he told CNBC the U.S. consumer is in robust shape. The month of April so far, consumers stronger than it was in March. And so the consumers continue to spend money. And so people say, well, they're spending more because inflation has raised prices. The reality is the transaction volume is rising 10% over last year, which means they're doing more. Ah, and the Citibank CEO, Jane Fraser, weighed in on the state of the U.S. economy, comparing it with Europe. I'm more of an optimist on the US. Um, we've got strong labor markets here. We've got a, a very healthy consumer, good corporate balance sheets. But we've had one heck of a supply shock hit the world. Um, it's obviously hit Europe more strongly. I think there's more concern about stagflation there. Um, and it's going to keep on rolling with COVID in China. There's, it keeps piling on to these supply chains and the challenges that are being faced. Far too much liquidity out there as well. So uh, it's, it's definitely a risk. Um, I'm more, much more optimistic on the States. I'm very concerned about <coughs> Europe. Right, the Apollo co-founder and CEO, Mark Rowan, uh, did warn, though, that financial conditions are set to tighten. The Fed seems deadly serious about getting expectations of inflation under control, which means liquidity is going to come out of the system. And you can see that's going to happen already with their announcement this morning on reducing their balance sheet and rates are going up. 
Right, so we have got a quick opportunity for a chat here. Look, uh, I, I think it's like one of those slow motion sequences in, in the movies or in an action movie or in the, the Fast and the Furious. You can kind of see what's going to happen next, that the car is going to do its uh, full pivot and turnover and then, you know, the, um, Vin Diesel's going to survive and win in the end. But it's just a question of how we get there as well. So we know that the economy is going to slow down with rate hikes at some stage. We know that inflation perhaps will not be uh, at this level for another four at 40-year highs forever as well. But it's a question of how the piece is put together. And quite frankly, I thought the ISM data yesterday compared with the jolts today as well, it's going to make it absolutely fascinating to see how long and how hard the Fed can go at this early cycle of rate hikes. Uh, the question for me is, um, OK, you've gone there with the um, allusion to uh, content. Um, is this a roadrunner moment while where Wiley E. Uh, Coyote... Uh, runs out into thin air and then suddenly starts to plunge. Yes. And I suspect that um, if we're not careful, that's what we're going to see. It won't be a soft landing. It'll actually be the market's running out of road here because we just heard a bullish perspective uh, in that panel. Everybody wants to try and paint this as a positive here. Very interesting. We've got a piece on our website quoting ISI Evercore. Um, this could be a cathartic flush out. Oh, I like cathartic. What's cathartic about ri uh, rates rising 50 basis points at sequential meetings as the market reacts to that? Yeah, I just, I'll, I'll get to Karen, but I just want to say that I used content that was NBC Universal, Comcast content, which is Vin Diesel uh, and Fast and Furious. You went there Good. with Warner Brothers. I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, Karen. Well, I'm going to pick up on yours then because I'm much better footing than if I pick up on the NBC Universal content, Steve. So let's go with Dominic Toretto then. I think uh, the reality is it's been a one-way bet because there's been so much artificial material put under the bonnet and that's exactly what the Fed's been doing, pumping so much stimulus into the market. It's been pretty much a one-way bet around equities for years. It was fascinating to hear yesterday that uh, some of the market think that the Tina effect may now be fading, that there is no other alternative type of market that we've seen for a number of years now, that uh, now you've got bonds and uh, other yield plays in contention because of those rising yields. I think that's quite fascinating. This is a very different market that we're seeing. And you just think about uh, how many areas of this market have been absolutely battered since the start of this year. It does beg the question, too, as to when you get some of that value uh, picking up that comes into the market, the long-term players that start raking over some of those uh, areas are down 20 to 30-odd percent. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.